Thanks for reading, Sarah. Uh, wonderful to see you all this afternoon and to be uh, starting a sermon series right at the beginning of the Bible. How exciting, preaching the very first verse of the Bible. Uh, why don't we begin in uh, prayer as we kick off this series. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear the truth of your word today and eyes to see your world and your glory through its wonder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, people have often compared the creation act of God, uh, they've compared it to the creative act of humans, uh, such as with artists. Uh, A very interesting artist is Banksy. In fact, uh, Banksy uh, is actually anonymous. He's an anonymous artist, uh, and he's one of the most famous artists of our era. His stencil graffiti art pieces are worth uh, millions. Each one is a gift to the towns he does them in, and they become instant tourist attractions. They're so valuable, people even remove walls to preserve them. Uh, So, for example, uh, last August in Suffolk in England, uh, Banksy painted uh, this painting on the side of the building. People flocked to see it for months, uh, but then after a few months, the landlord removed the entire wall of the building to sell the piece for an estimated $4 million dollars. This was controversial. The deputy town mayor branded it as a shame and saying, I quote, I'm sure Banksy didn't put it on there in the hope that someone would profit from it. So Banksy's artworks are therefore all to admire and yet the creator of the artworks remains anonymous. His name's unknown uh, and so uh, to some degree are his intentions for the artworks. Although this all came to a head last month when uh, Guess, the global fashion brand, used Banksy's artworks as prints on their new clothing range called Brandalized. And of course, Banksy reached out through his people and said he was not happy. Uh, And yet, reportedly, it's been difficult for him to navigate the legal system without revealing his name. Identifying yourself as the creator and owner would seem to be a necessary step if you wanted to tell people uh, how to use what you have made. Which, of course, brings us, not so subtly, to Genesis, where God makes himself known as the creator, the author, the owner of all that has been created. Today in Genesis, we read God's copyright claim, you could call it, couldn't you? This is all mine, he says, I've made it, my fingerprints are all over it. In scripture, he says, this is my gift for all. This is how it is to be used, and this is what I will do with it. God communicates, revealing himself and his authorship to us, his creation, so that we can know him. The start of uh, Genesis is ground zero for theology. You can't begin thinking uh, theologically or thinking about ethics. You can't even begin without beginning at creation because God is the author, owner, controller of all things. Uh, And this Christian understanding of creation puts us uh, with, at odds with the rest of our society in almost every way. If, if you just think of any object, you pick up any object, uh, point to anything, and we have a radically different understanding about what that thing is. Point to anything. Whose is it? Why is it there? Who made it? God. There are no maverick molecules. God is over all things. And if God makes all things, he is Lord ruler of all things. But if God, is, if God is not there, 
then the humans really are lords. They are kings over all things. If God did not create, then humanity rules the physical world. Humans' desires are at the centre, for the human being is the greatest being there is. So there's much at stake in this creation question. The doctrine of creation changes everything. It affects everything. We could look at it for weeks together. Uh, but we only have a few minutes. So uh, let me, uh, I'll introduce our series in Genesis and then we'll step through some of the verses in our passage, pulling out some key ideas from them. But the book of Genesis, I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Genesis or when the last time you read through the book of Genesis was. Uh, but as you do, you quickly notice that the bulk of the book, it's about one family, Abraham's, and it's all the goss, you know, who slept with who and such. You find yourself thinking, why are we reading so much about this one family and all the kids that they had? Why are we reading their history? Genesis means origin. It is the origin story of all things with a focus on one family. But God, he, he knew what he, he was doing when he got Moses to write the book. See, there are two sections, Genesis uh, chapters 1 to 11. They're the proto or early history. Uh, and they focus on the origins of the human race. And then the next section, the second section, chapters 12 to 50, focus on the origins of Israel. And so the book of Genesis as a whole declares that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is not a mere localized family God, but he's the sovereign Lord over all the universe. These apparently petty family stories about who married who, which occupy a large part of Genesis, these are actually of cosmic significance. For God has chosen these families so that through them all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so Genesis is uh, the origin story of how we here today in this building came to be blessed by God. This is our salvation history. The first chapters, uh, 1 to 11, are the setting for salvation history. Uh, every worldview has a setting. Uh, for example, our society is essentially uh, materialist, believing in, in no God. It's just physical matter. And the setting is, you know, the Big Bang or, or an event like that, some random matter doing some random things. And so the setting is just the physical world for our society. There are no purpose, uh, there is no rules, you decide. Uh, other religions around uh, the Israelites when Genesis was written, the ancient Near Eastern religions, they all had their own settings. Usually it was a, a bit of a brag that, you know, th there'd normally be this account of how their God beat up all the other gods to become head God of that area. And so Genesis has similarities, right? It's an account of how God is the big God of all areas of the entire universe. Physical particles don't rule. God does. Behind all things is not physics, but God. Genesis frames all of history as God's masterpiece, his performance, his action, his intention. God is the first subject of the Bible. Have a look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This God made all things. This salvation story is therefore, it's the center of all people. You cannot truly know anything about anything without knowing God. The stage for God in this first verse is the beginning. 
the verse is saying God made all things. There was nothing other than God in existence before this act in verse 1. Hebrews 11.3 says, The universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that were not visible. Or John 1.3, was our second reading this morning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So out of nothing, God creates all things. In theology, this is called creation ex nihilo. All worldviews have a beginning. All worldviews have an origin story. Every superhero needs an origin story. Uh, You know, for Spider-Man, he was was just an American teenager. Uh, Well, in the beginning, uh, he was just a poor, sickly kid, an orphan. But one day he was bitten by a radioactive spider. And as a result of the bite, he was given superhuman strength, speed and agility. And he can hang off walls. That's his origin story. Uh, And Genesis is the origin story of the universe. It begins with God saying in verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, But this isn't God's origin story, is it? No, God's already there. It's the origin story of the creation, not God. We're told about the beginning, but God is already there, before the beginning has begun. Every worldview needs a beginning, needs to assume something at the beginning to begin the beginning, every world every worldview needs uh, someone or something there at the start, which uh, which is effectively eternal. For our society's worldview, being materialist, they believe that the thing that was there at the start was physical matter. Physical matter is the eternal thing which begun the beginning. The Big Bang, or whatever you want to say it was, was there at the beginning. And the physical stuff all did what it did, reacted or whatever, together. And out of all these things, everything that is came to exist. The universe, the world, human life. That is our society's origin story. And to be frank, Spider-Man's makes more sense when you think about it. Because in the materialist view, the superhero is the humble physical matter. We're told that ultimately uh, that thing which from, from which all other things comes is physical, is physical matter. Our society's worldview, it assumes physical matter. While the Bible, the Bible actually offers an explanation of the origin of the physical world, and that is God, God the supernatural, a supernatural God, Genesis said, who is outside of the physical creation, that God made it all. From nothing, And so we've got two worldviews, two statements. You tell me which one makes sense. Uh, I put them up on screen. The Bible, oh, one's, it's gone really small. The Bible's view is God made the physical world. That's what Genesis is saying. The Bible's view is God made the physical world. And materialism's view is the physical world made the physical world. It really is that simple. Uh, one of these is a logical proposition, the Bible's, and the other has been disproved by science. I I take you through this, Christian brothers and sisters, so that you will not be ashamed, never be on the back foot when you're called to give an account of your worldview to our society. Well, there's so much to say, uh, but, uh, you know, we better move on. We're going to have question time in a couple of weeks, but uh, for now, let's move on to verse uh, 2 of the Bible. It's taken a while. Uh, I I did the Mass at this rate, if we're only at verse 2 now, it would take us... 215 days of non-stop sermon to get to the end of the Bible. So uh, who, who's in? 
We'll just, we'll just keep going at this rate all the way through to the end. 215 days. No, let's, uh, let's go. Verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. That's how it begins. Uh, in the next scene, this is the next scene of creation. The earth was formless and empty. And it's worth thinking about what, what is being described there. Uh, formless, empty, dark, watery. The term, it's a statement about its nature. It was uh, chaos and chaotic. Uh, totally disordered. It's the opposite of what the creation will be when it is complete. Um, if ever you need motivation to clean your room, th- this is it. You don't want your room to be like the pre-created world. Total chaos. Verse 2 continues, uh, Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. What a great image. God was there in this dark chaos. His spirit was there about to bring order, goodness and light. And that's the thing. We live in an ordered world that has been made, designed, crafted, is maintained, curated, cared for. It's not a forgotten wasteland. That was what the world was before God acted. Okay, get ready. Here it comes. Here comes the spirit, the first act of creation, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be, and it was. Like, a, like something like a lightning bolt shoots across the dark chaos, and we get a taste of God's goodness. Verse 4 continues, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. And so uh, at this point, verse 4, we see two things about God's work. Uh, It is good uh, and it is a drawing of lines, a a marking, a delineating act. Uh, By marking, I mean it's a separating of things, judging between good and bad, ruling a line between them. You know, verse 4, God separates the light from darkness. Verse 5, he separates day from night. Verse 6, God separates land from water and sky. And these creative acts, they are defining, uh, they're drawing lines. That's what an architect does. That's actually what the word architect means, it's it's, it's roots. That's what a designer does. They define, they say, this will be the bathroom and and this will be a bedroom or a study and uh, this is the kitchen. It cannot be a study. Uh, It's it's marking between things is what a a designer, an architect does. Does. And so God, the, the owner-maker, has the right to define things. That's what he's doing in creation. He's defining what things are. And our world, suppressing the truth of God as author and ruler, has forgotten this reality. Uh, think of some of the things our world doesn't understand about what the Bible says. Things uh, that were fixed by God uh, in the creation. You know, God drew a line and he said, this is good or this is bad. Think of all these things, you know, uh, this is an animal, this is a human, this is a man, this is a woman. Sex is to be between a man and a woman. Uh, This is the head of the house, this is the head of the church. This is how all people will be saved. All these things our world has to some degree forgotten. And yet the Bible says these are all things that God set up in creation. Lines that God drew in creation and they are built into the fabric of the universe. They're God's choice. They're done for His good pleasure. They're done as an overflow of His goodness. This goodness is the, is the second thing I mentioned in verse 4 that we see. This ordering and separating is good. They define good. They are good. Uh, last year I was, um, I was reminded how hard it is to make something good. 
Uh, it's one thing to make something. It's another thing to make something good. Last year, uh, Nikki and I were having a birthday party for our kids, and Nikki needed a cake, and so I said, too easy, I'll do it, no problems. And she did. She questioned me. She said, do you know how to make a cake? Do you know how to ice a cake? <laughs> easy, I said. Leave it to me. I'll take care of it. And she showed me what she had in mind. Um, I was to make this. This is a... <laughs> <laughs> a few people are doubting my credentials here. It's hard not to, You haven't even seen where I... Just, this was the, something like this. Something like this. Uh, a highly ordered creation vision of nice buttercream ice cake. Uh, and this was, this was mine. <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. We just put them side by side. There we go. Look at that. And Josh said, let there be cake. And there was cake. And the cake was not so good. Not so good. Uh, But God's creation, unlike my cake, was good. (laughs) When it says the creation was good, it's not only a statement of its quality, unlike my cake, but it's also a moral term. These things, they're they're virtuous, they're good, uh, they're not evil. My cake was uh, not good. I don't think you'd call it evil, though. Maybe you would. Uh, by the way, I'm still making cakes if you need a birthday cake. Uh, I, apparently I need some practice. But the creation was good, an overflow of God's good character. God's goodness is all around us, the trees, the mountains, the rivers. They are beautiful, reflecting God's wonderful goodness. God's good arms surround you in his creation. He is so good if you have eyes to see it, if you have eyes to see his light. Do you, do you notice that the sun hasn't been created yet, and yet there is light in verse 3. The sun isn't made until day 4, verse 16. But the light shines uh, in the day, on the day, on day 1. Somehow the light shines and it's directly from God. When God separates light from darkness, it's, um, it's, it's both actual light, but it's, it's also a description of God's goodness. That's the light that's being talked about there. The dark is evil and the good is light. The light is from God. You get another important hint here about uh, just how theological these descriptions are. The Bible says God is the source of light forever, even in the new creation. So Revelation uh, 22.5, it says the new creation New creation, night will no longer exist and people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And so this light is from God. In fact, the light is life itself. Uh, John 1, 4-5 says, Life was in him and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness Yet the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness, death, decay have not defeated light. God created light for all. He sent light into the world, Jesus. God is in the business of lighting. He lights the world and he lights our hearts. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters and said, Let there be light, and the light shone. And now he offers eternal life, giving us life by shining light into our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And this verse always makes my spine tingle 
God who created the world shines light out of darkness. He's pointed that beacon at our hearts and shone light into our hearts and given us eternal life. Knowing Jesus is light. Knowing Jesus is life. And so make sure you know Jesus. But I'll I'll try and stay focused on Genesis. Let me return to verse 5. We continue. Verse 5 says, God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Evening came, and then morning the first day. And so now we have a night and day, but we don't have a sun, no sun, and yet we have the first day. And so you kind of go, well, what kind of day is it if there's no sun? Uh, how do you know, you know, what is a day? We, we measure days by the sun, solar days, uh, so how long is the day? Well, you know, in my opinion, for what it's worth, I think it's a 24-hour period. But it, it doesn't say 24 there anywhere. And so d- the day could really be any period of time. And I, I think that's uh, a good way to approach Genesis as a whole, uh, these, these early chapters in Genesis. Hold very carefully to what it says, but don't add in our own words. Uh, we want to insist on everything that it insists on, but we don't want to say more than it's necessarily saying. Um, so, you know, there's been great debate about the length of the day. Since the early church, uh, many first-class theologians, ever since the beginning, have had different uh, views on this, because the text simply doesn't say. The Bible as a whole, it won't let us deny certain truths about Genesis, about this account of creation. So, for example, Exodus 20.11 says, For the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh. And so, yes, affirm six days of creation, but don't add in your own details. Uh, People, uh, some people believe there are gaps between the days, arguing creation itself might have taken many, many years. Well, again, it doesn't say that there are gaps, but it doesn't say that there aren't. And so, I guess it's possible. And of course, we are... We don't have time to go into all of the, the different understandings of how this creation account fits with all the other theories about how the world was formed. Uh, the account of Genesis, it isn't really uh, written to answer other scientific theories. Uh, the, the question this account is supposed to answer is, who should I serve as Lord? Can I trust him? Uh, and it's very clear on that. But at the end of the day, the Genesis account, it's the only account of creation that anybody has. Uh, the words in these verses are accurate, they're true statements. This is a historic account of real events by the one person that was there. As God reminds Job in Job 38.4, he says, Were you there when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Well, there's uh, so much to say. It's hard to know how much to say, right? Um, I feel like I should say something about the Bible and science and and how these all fit together a little. Uh, Let me say a couple of quick thoughts, three quick things to remember. Um, I mean, firstly, science, it's it's undeniable, right? Like, science is testable, you do it in front of you, you can retest it. No one's questioning that science is undeniable. Uh, And yet, science goes much further beyond that, to the point where it's, it just becomes theories, and theories come and go. They may or may not be true. Unless something's in front of you and you can retest it, uh, it's just a theory. And uh, so much of what people claim as true based on the authority of science, it's not really a true science at that point. It's more like a religion. 
Secondly, Christians uh, inevitably inevitably have to reject many of the claims made in the name of science uh, as they simply contradict the Bible. So, for example, the scientific consensus is that humans, we're just animals, you know, we're supposed to have sex with as many people as possible, uh, and that's for the good of humanity. Uh, Well, it simply contradicts the Bible's account about who we are and what is good. And so uh, we're forced to, to disagree with the scientific consensus as Christians. And if I could be really uh, kind of crude, when a scientific theory contradicts the Genesis account, I'm not too worried. Thirdly, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, all people reject God. You know, w- w- science is not objective. Nobody is objective. Everyone is actively trying to reject God until they know Jesus, we are told. They're rebelling. They're using their intellect and knowledge to rebel against God. And so we need to really question what is being said as true in the name of science. Uh, there is, everyone has a rebellious heart that is frantically trying to justify the fact that, you know, trying to deny that God is their Lord, that they, you know, justify them and their actions so that they can live for themselves, trying to deny that God is their ruler. And so I think... Christians have to be quite careful and just carefully think and weigh up what is being said. But I should stop there lest I speak beyond my understanding and we'll, uh, we'll move on with these verses in Genesis. Uh, let's, let's look at the last couple of uh, creation acts uh, briefly. In verse 9, God creates the land. Verse 9 says, Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and he called the gathering of the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Just like that, the mountains, the seas are all formed, and it was so. God made it. Our world is so awesome, and God just spoke it into existence. I think sometimes we forget how awesome this is. Uh, this all reminds me, these, these mountains remind me of this project in the Netherlands in 2011. The Netherlands, if you know anything about the Netherlands, uh, it's that they love cycling, they're mad about riding bikes, and the second thing is it's dead flat, which it makes it very hard to train for cycling if it's dead flat. You can't learn to ride mountain, uh, climb mountains or do altitude training, it's very difficult. No matter, they thought. In 2011, they proposed to build a 2,000 metre high mountain, 2,000 metre high mountain was the proposal. It was meant to cost $500 million and they started fundraising and the the project started to gather momentum when the cost blew out to $12 trillion. (laughs) I just... $12 trillion. Uh, for, For comparison, that's more than the GDP of every country except the USA and China. One mountain, uh, and it was, abs- it was impossible for the humans to build. And in creation, God makes them all. He spoke, and it was so. The right response to the mountains and the seas and all creation is to praise God. He is our great God, to give him the glory due as the incredible creator. Our God is awesome. He's awesome, and he wants to be our friend. Well, verse 11, the vegetation is produced. Uh, Verse 11 says, Then God said, Let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth. 
bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. And so the earth sprouts, the earth bears fruit and multiplies. God's earth grows, is fertile. The earth produces plants, trees, rainforests, and so on. In the section of Genesis, it's, it's correcting the pagan understands of providence, uh, pagan understandings of where things come from. Uh, you know, of food security, economic growth, housing provision, all of these things. Uh, for it was said that the pagan gods uh, produced crops. They gave fertility. It was the sun god that was meant to determine people's destinies. But in Genesis, God says, yeah, that big light up there, I made that. It dances to my tune. Uh, look at verse 16. God doesn't even name the sun. Verse 16, God made the two great lights, the greater light to have dominion over the day, the lesser light to have dominion over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to dominate the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, evening and then morning, the fourth day. Yep, the stars made them too. God is <laughs> God, just one by one, these uh, pagan gods, these things that the pagans looked up to, God uh, Hits them down one by one and says, I made them. I am Lord over all things. You don't need them. The, the produce they claim, the health and prosperity that they claim to provide, it's all from me. I am from where all things come. I give life. I give health. I give fertility. I give rain, sun, and good crops. All you need is me, and you have me. I am your God, and you are my people. But people, are, people often don't know God. They don't like him or trust him. I think God has a branding problem. Uh, you know, a very successful brand uh, is the Australian Made logo. The logo, it's, uh, they've done their consumer research. Uh, Matt, can, Matt can tell you more about this. But uh, the brand's 99% recognized. Almost everyone recognizes the logo. It's trusted as uh, genuine by 92% of people. And people like it. There's a 93% preference rating. That's a successful brand. And in Genesis, God's making his claim, recognize me as sustainer. All things are made by God. Trust me. Don't turn to the sun or you'll get burned. Trust God. He is the one in control. And of course, we're to love the Lord our God. He is to be our preference, our first love, Lord of all. Well, where to end? Uh, God made the world. But that is not the end. For when God made the world, he surely knew that he would uh, be coming back to remake it. Let me share one final verse, which shows the plan was never for this creation in Genesis to be final. 2 Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will be burned and dissolved. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens, the new earth, where righteousness will dwell. See, we live in, in the heavens uh, and the earth that God created in Genesis, we've been reading, and yet we wait for a new heavens and a new earth. We praise God for the glory of his creation, and yet we wait eagerly for the greater creation. Uh, Second Peter continues, saying, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation.
And so while we wait, we make every effort to be found at peace with him, without spot or blemish. Uh, We look to be as good as God's good creation. We look to put away darkness and live in the light. We look to live like we're about to step into the new heavens and the new earth, living in God's light. I don't know if you've ever uh, thought about this, but what is the one thing that will survive from this creation into the next? What's the, what's the thing that will survive from this one into the next? What's the most permanent part of this creation that we're reading about in Genesis? It's your heart. Your heart. Think about it. It's your heart. It, it, the Spirit hovered over your heart and it, it shone and it said, let there be light in that person's heart. And at that point, a new creation was made. And that heart, you, you will be in the new creation, living with the light forever. That's something to pray about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how majestic are the works of your hands. May we see your creation and give you praise for the wonder of your works. May we look to you as provider of all things and Lord of all things, most of all our hearts. And Father, we, we pray, keep us until that final day when you do return to take us home to your new creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.